James chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 12 down through verse 16. And we're going to preach another sermon that's an installment in our theme this year of Lift Him Up. James chapter 1, verse 12 down through verse 16 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Tonight I want to preach a simple sermon entitled this, Lifting Up Christ Through Temptation. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray tonight you'd help us as we gather here and we look at this truth. Lord, the truth is uh, every one of us here battle temptations. We all do. Um, God, there seems to be a, a different set of temptations tailored to each one of us. And Lord, I pray that uh, tonight you'd help us to learn some spiritual truths that will help us to identify the temptations of Satan. And Lord, um, that you'd help us to understand that there can be victory against every temptation. There ought to be victory against temptation. And Lord, we can hold you high. We can elevate you to the world around us by learning to say no to those temptations. So, God, I pray tonight the sermon would serve as a good reminder to all of us. Lord, maybe some things would be uncovered uh, in some minds and hearts and some mentalities would be changed that would help give a little bit more victory walking out the door than was had before the service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. In South America, there is a strange vine known as the matador. Beginning at the foot of a tree, it slowly makes its way to the top. As it grows up the tree, it kills the tree. And when at last it has reached, uh, it, it has reached the top, it, it sends forth a flower to crown itself. The word matador means killer, killer, jealousy. It appears harmless when it is small. But if it is allowed to grow, its tendrils of malice and hatred soon clasp themselves around the very heart and soul of the tree in which it is, uh, in which it is surrounding. You have heard it said from this pulpit right here that Christianity is not measured in years, but rather it is measured in decades, in decades. This evening, I'd like to propose that if a Christian is going to keep his testimony in check, he must learn how to endure temptation, not once, not twice, but he must spend a lifetime as a Christian learning how to endure and say no to the temptations that are attempting to overtake him, choke him out, and attempting to kill him. To the Christian that is able to do this, Christ will be lifted up by your lifestyle, and Christ will be edified by your lifestyle. You guys all realize that in 2017, it is more this way than ever. We live in a world where the large majority of our society, they're not even trying to say no to temptation. 
They're not even trying to say no. If their flesh wants to do it, they're all in on it. Let's just do it. Let's indulge in it. Let's go all out in it. And let's have a good time with it. And until the, the, the matador of sin has wrapped its tendrils around a soul and is beginning to put that flower of, of pride at the very top. And when that soul is about to hit the bottom and is about to lose everything, then that person's ready to be repulsed from their sin and from that temptation. I'm here tonight to tell you, Christian, that you and I hold a responsibility right now to identify our weaknesses to identify the temptation and to push away from it. To, to say no to it so that the world around us, when they are looking to turn for help, they can look and turn to Christians that are holding up Christ through their lifestyle. Tonight, I'd like for us to look at four principal thoughts about this idea of lifting up Christ through temptation. Point number one of the message is simply this. First note, the tempter. The tempter. Um, we're going to be back in James 1 at the very, very end of the message. Beyond that, we won't be there until then. We're going to be all over the Bible and other places. So you can put a little mark in James 1 if that helps you for later. But Matthew chapter 4. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4 in your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 4 verse 3. and We'll reference Matthew 4 a few times uh, tonight. Uh, but uh, beginning the sermon here. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. I'm going to begin reading. The Bible says, And when the tempter, the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And so, here in Matthew 4, we have Jesus. He's been baptized of, the, of, of John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit's descended like a dove. The Heavenly Father is given His vocal approval on Jesus. He leaves and goes into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting. At the very end of that fasting, the Bible says that the tempter came to him. What is one of the names of Satan? One of the names of Satan is that he is the tempter. This is not the only time in the Bible he's called the tempter. First Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5 says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. The tempter have tempted you. So, uh, over and over again, or at least twice directly in Scripture, Satan is called the tempter. The tempter. Let's look at uh, uh, this uh, this attribute of Satan a little bit deeper. Letter A, notice his nemesis. His nemesis. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 14 with me, in your, if you will. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 in your Bibles. Get your fingers ready to go because we're going to be all over the Word of God tonight. We try to hold the Word of God up high here at White Oak Baptist Church because it's not my opinion you're coming to hear. It's the Word of God you're coming to hear. So, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, the Bible says there, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yea, thou shalt be brought down to hell 
to the side of the pits. What happened to Lucifer? And here, Isaiah is asking Lucifer, hey, hey, what happened to you? You used to be an archangel in heaven. Lucifer, your body was made of musical instruments we find in other passages in Scripture. And Lucifer, you got too big for your britches. Lucifer, you looked at God and you decided, I can be better than Him. I can ascend above Him. And the uh, finite creature of Lucifer tried to ascend above the infinite creature of God. And God gathered up Lucifer and the rebellion of Lucifer and cast them all out of heaven and down to the earth. Why is it that Lucifer hates God? Because it is Lucifer who has rebelled against God. It is Lucifer that has been punished. Let me just say one attribute of someone who is a rebel that is punished is that they will rebel harder after they've been punished. They will rebel harder. Here Satan rebelled and God punished Satan. And did Satan, did the tempter turn around and say, Oh, I learned my lesson, Lord, will you, uh, through repentance, will you take me back? No. In his heart he said, If you're going to punish me, I'm going to come back harder and harder and harder. And so he was thrown down to earth. And where one day he will be gathered up, we know in the book of Revelation, he will be tossed down into the pit of hell. I can't wait for that day. By the way, I can't wait for the old tempter, the old devil, who's tripped me up time after time after time in my, my life. I can't wait for the Lord to bind him in chains and in and, and, and ropes and take him and throw him into the hottest part of hell where he'll suffer. But that's not the case right now. He walks and he roams the earth looking to tempt you and I. Go over to Job chapter 1. Job is one book before the book of Psalm. Job chapter 1. And we find an account of Satan, Lucifer, the tempter, being called back to a meeting in heaven where the powers of the world were required to meet with God. Now, uh, we don't know how often these meetings take place or if they even still do take place, but one thing is clear here in this passage is that Satan was accountable to God. Satan had to report to heaven and give an account to God of what he had been up to. And, and, and so here, Job chapter 1, verse 7, we find that account. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Job chapter 1 verse 7. Uh, and, and then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and forth in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that forbeareth God and escheweth or hateth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and, 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 the, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth now thine hand, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So we see here letter A, speaking of the tempter, his nemesis, his nemesis, his number one nemesis or his opponent or his enemy is is God. It's God. Why is it that Satan wants to take you down? Can I just tell you right up why it is? Because you, my friend, are made in the image and likeness of God. And he can't touch God, but he can he can meddle with your life and he can bring you down. And that's the best he can do. That's the best he can do. My friend, I'm here to tell you tonight that Satan is not your friend. Satan is 
your enemy. He's your enemy. The Bible describes him as a roaring lion, uh, uh, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. He's described as a warrior uh, with wiles that he's trying to fire in at you in the book of Ephesians. Satan hates you. He hates you. He hates you. And those pretty little temptations he dangles down in front of you, why they might look inviting, remember who they are authored by. They are authored by Satan himself, also noted, noted in Scripture as the tempter. Letter B, notice his nature. His nature. So we know that the nemesis of Satan, of the tempter, is God and God's creation. Uh, letter B, we see his nature. Satan is crafty in getting you to sin. Oh my goodness. He's had 6,000 years of practicing at getting people, human beings, to give in to sin. And on the trophy case of Satan are some pretty big names. Some pretty big names. I would say if I was Satan, the trophy that would sit at the very top of my trophy case of my shelf, uh, if I was a t- if I was Satan and I was taking uh, uh, my, my hunt in to, for, to a taxidermist, the number one buck head of a buck that would be hanging on the wall uh, in my uh, getaway lodge would be the head of Adam. You say why Adam? Because Adam was perfect. Let me just tell you tonight that if God that if Satan can get Adam to trip and fall. That he can get you to trip and fall. Adam was without sin and he brought him down. You say, oh, not me. Oh, not me. Yes, you. Yes, me. How many pastors have I seen fall out of the ministry in my years? So many. And I have been in churches where pastors have fallen. And oh, the hurt that has sat in my soul. And oh, the hurt that has sat in the hearts of the congregation. I have seen church members who are plugging along year after year after year only to get tripped up by Satan because Satan is crafty in getting people to sin. This will help you tonight, I hope, a little bit to understand this, that Satan is very good at either behaving like your best friend or your worst enemy. He'll be whoever or whatever he needs to be in order to get you to sin. The end game is not him being your friend or your enemy. The end game is getting you to give in to his temptation. Satan will come along and he'll... He'll whisper things in your ear such as, come on, you know you want to do it. You know you want to do it. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. It's just you and you're all alone. Nobody's ever going to find out. Here's another one. It will be just once. Just one time. What's the old uh, Lay's uh, potato chip commercial? You can't eat just one. Right? Satan uh, says, it's just going to be once. Just one cigarette. Just, just one, uh, 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 some, some immodest uh, uh, girl walks by. Just look back once. No one's going to know. Uh, uh, you're all alone. Your wife's out of town. Just go down to the bar and have one beer. No one will know. It's okay. It's all right. Hey, that, that image that pops up on your screen or uh, of, of your computer or your phone. Hey, nobody's going to know. It's okay. Just one time. It's okay. It's alright. Hey, tell one little lie. Just once. Just once. Here's another one Satan likes to throw at us. You know you want to do it. You know you want to do it. 
Come on, come on, your flesh wants it. Come on, you know you want to do it. Here's another one. Here's a big one. The Lord will forgive you. The Lord will forgive you. You know, you can go ahead and take advantage. You live in the dispensation of grace. And you turn to Satan and say, what does dispensation mean? And he says, oh, I don't worry about it. You live in the era of grace. And if you sin, you can just drop to your knees and you can pray. And God is bound by Scripture to forgive you. My friends, don't abuse that grace. Woo, you don't want to abuse that grace. That's a dangerous game to play with the Lord. The Lord will forgive you. Here's another one Satan likes to tell you. And this is him playing the role of being your friend. You've done it before and it didn't kill you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it one more time. Do it one more time. You know, after you give in to those temptations... Satan's really good at switching hats. He takes off the friend hat, and he puts on the enemy hat. And and if I could, he switches shoulders, right? He goes from one ear to the other. And then Satan will whisper something in your ear after he's tempted you to give in, and you've given in. He'll come along and he'll whisper something in your ear like, you are a total scumbag. I can't believe you just did that. And you call yourself a Christian? Oh, how terrible of you. Might as well not go back to church. Those people down at the church, if they knew what you did, they would, they would disown you in a heartbeat. Another lie Satan will come along in our ear and whisper to trip us up from having that right relationship with God. He'll come along and he'll say, God is angry at you. Don't bother praying. Don't bother praying. Woo! God doesn't want to look at you. He's so angry that he's got his back turned to you. And and, and if you even walk in his presence, he's going to smack you across the room. Satan... Satan knows exactly what he's got to do to get you to trip into sin and fall by being your friend. And then he'll turn around and he'll act like your enemy. And by the way, here in the book of Job, where we looked at that story, Job, uh, Satan saw that he was not going to trip Job up by being his friend. So he just went ahead and put on the enemy he had. And it was just all-out assault on Job. We're talking about the nature of the tempter. Listen, if you're going to stay away from temptation... You have to understand that the tempter, the devil, is the one who is authoring that temptation. He's got a playbook with your name on the cover, and he wants to take you down. Number one, we see the tempter. Number two, we see the temptation. The temptation. Take your Bibles with me over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and in verse number 16, we come to a... A passage that to regular churchgoers would be familiar. One that uh, we've heard quoted and used oftentimes before. And so the verse won't be new to you, but maybe uh, the way uh, the verse is being used will help you to understand things a little bit deeper here. First John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. What are the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, or rather, what is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the types of temptations. Uh, you can go ahead and throw the next uh, A, B, and C up on the screen there for me, Matt. Uh, letter A, lust of the flesh. Letter B, lust of the eyes. Letter C, the pride of life. These are categorically how Satan tempts us. Right here. Any temptation he's thrown at you can be categorized under either letter A, letter B, or letter C. What is the lust of the flesh? Maybe tonight you're here and you've never really had anybody explain to you the difference between the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh is a lust that comes from within. It's a lust that comes from within. Um, the Bible word is the word lasciviousness. Lasciviousness, okay? Any uh, sensual act performed, whether it's before marriage, it's in marriage, it's uh, outside the bonds of your marriage, all of these things are, are considered uh, lust of the flesh. Pornography would be a lust of the flesh. Alcohol would be a lust of the flesh. Drug doing, whether it's popping a pill or an injection or smoking something, uh, these are lusts of the flesh. And so Satan, uh, for many people, brings them down through the lust of the flesh. Another one here I don't want to overlook is indulging in food. Indulging in food is another one that trips many people up. Uh, uh, some people, whenever they get into a, a, a very uh, hard spot and they're really worried, or they're really depressed, they just indulge and find their comfort in food, and that is a temptation of Satan, lust of the flesh. What are some examples of lust of the eyes? Lust of the eyes. Well, uh, possessions, possessions. Bigger and better house. Bigger and better house. I've got to have a house that has a three-car garage because a two-car garage is just not enough. You say, "Well, I don't. You don't even have a three a third car." Well, if I get a third-car garage, that would obligate me to go out and buy a third car, right? And uh, my my uh, Honda Accord isn't nice enough. I've got to drive an Acura or an Infiniti or an Audi or a Mercedes Benz. I've got to climb the rank of of, of what I have. Lust of the eyes. It, another way to look at lust of the eyes would just be lusts from without, from without. Things that you see that you want. Things that you see that would elevate you and your status in life. Name brand clothes. Can I tell you there is no bigger waste of money than name brand clothes. Listen, if they sell it at Walmart or even at the thrift store and it will sufficiently protect you and it will sufficiently cover you, that is good enough for me. That is good enough for me. I don't need it to say Brooks Brothers on the tag or Heart Shafter Marks on the I don't need all that. Uh, it, listen, as long as it's a high enough quality to last and be worth my money, praise the Lord, that's good enough for me. And But lust of the eyes is an area that Satan trips up a lot of people. They'll work that overtime and they'll miss church so that they can buy and have nicer things. Uh, they'll, uh, uh, they'll, they'll skip giving that tithe in the offering plate so they can have that vacation that they always dreamed of or that they've always wanted. Uh, a lust of the eyes. Letter C, pride of life. And what is this? This is position. This is position. This is everybody thinking that you are something great. This is status. Status. Uh, I've got to have that 
corner office at work, and everybody, when I walk in the room, they've got to be intimidated of me, and they've got to be scared, because I have the ability to look at them and say, you're fired! You're fired! And I walk in the room, and everybody just, it's a, it's a, it's a tight ship. Pride of life. Pride of life. It's the idea that when you walk around church, that people maybe think that you're a little bit better than you honestly are. Now listen, I, I think when you come to church, you ought to put your best foot forward. I think you ought to dress sharp. I think you ought to act your best. If you're cranky, please don't come in here and ruin the spirit of the church. I'm not uh, at all saying that you ought to do that. But by the same token, don't come in here and be a phony either. Don't be one thing at home and one thing as you roam around the streets and, and talk one way at church and then come to come into the church house and... Uh, I, I am so glad that my Father in Heaven has allowed me to uh, be here, and I am graced by your presence in the very house of Jehovah today. And everyone looks at you and says, you've been going to church too long. <laughs> but a status, a title. Well, uh, I've got to hold this title at the church house, and I've got to hold this rank at work, and, and that is the pride of life, the pride of life. Some of you in here maybe just struggle with one of the three. Your temptation falls falls under one of the three. But can I ask you this tonight, as we go throughout, now I have some more things to say under point two here with the with the um, of the temptation. But as I go through this point, can you work hard to identify where Satan works the hardest to tempt you? Which is it? Which is it? Maybe there's one or two of them up there. Satan doesn't stand a chance because there's just no temptation there for you. But maybe there is a couple that do. Maybe you're tempted in all three. Satan knows how to use all three to bring down just about anybody. Will you turn with me in your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 3? Satan's very good at using all three and even using them in harmony, using them in sync to bring people down. You put that next slide up there for me, Brother Matt. One more. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, what is that? That's the lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Oh, now we hear the lust of the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. Well, there we have the pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. How did Satan get the first human being to sin? Well, first he appealed to the lust of the flesh with food, and then he appealed to the lust of the eyes by dangling that fruit right there in front of her. Come on, Eve, you know you want it. You know, you want it. And then he said this, if you eat the fruit, you'll be wise. You'll be likened to a God. Back over in Matthew chapter 4, we find 4,000 years later, Christ is walking the earth and the temptation hasn't really changed. In fact, Satan is going to try to tempt the creator of the world. And he steps into the ring with Jesus Christ himself And what does he use? He uses the same three tactics to try to bring down Jesus that he used to bring down Eve. The next slide there would be, I believe, uh, Christ's temptation. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones 
be made bread. What did he do? He walked in the presence of Jesus. Jesus was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He said, hey, Jesus, you know, if you command those stones to be made bread, it'll be done instantaneously. What was he trying to do? He was trying to appeal to the lust of the flesh. Look down with me at verses 5 and 6. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He takes him up on top of the pinnacle of this uh, of this temple and he says, hey, jump! God will save you. What was this? This was a daredevil stunt. And I've oftentimes said this in, in private conversations and probably even from the pulpit, but to me this was really junior high. Really juvenile of Satan. Hey, jump! Hey, let me, I dare you to jump! I dare you to jump! I, it just reminds me of maybe standing on a second floor balcony and saying, I dare you to jump off. If you hit just right and you roll, you won't get hurt. And Jesus probably looked at him and said, you buffoon. What are you, what are you doing? And he even goes as far as quoting scripture. But this was a lust, a temptation with the lust of the eyes. Satan wasn't done. Look down at verses 8 and 9. We find the third temptation of Christ here. The Bible says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Takes him up into a high place where he can see the kingdoms of the world. He says, Listen, one day you're going to get these. But if you'll bow, to me, bow down to me right now, I will turn them over to you now. I'll give them to you right now. What was this? This was the pride of life. The pride of life. Satan's tricks haven't changed. The temptation that you're facing, the temptation that's been whipping you, the temptation that's been running you down, the temptation that's been owning you, that the playbook that Satan has with your name on it is filled with temptations that involve either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, or maybe even all three. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find several names, and we won't turn over there right now, but we find several names of different people in the Bible who made what the Bible labels as the hall of faith. And we looked at one of them this morning in the character of Sarah, but uh, and we saw where she was tempted and she fell there this morning in part of the sermon. But other names in there are names like Samson. Samson, uh, where was Samson's struggle? What was the playbook on Samson? Well, it was the lust of the flesh. Here comes this pretty little Philistine girl. Hey, Father, I want her. Get her for me. Well, well, Samson, isn't one of the Israeli girls good enough for you? Nah, uh, they're all boring. Get me one of those Philistine girls. He, he no more marries her, and they uh, use her to find out uh, what's going on with the, the, the um, uh, riddle he's telling. And, and he basically just disowns her in Scripture. A little bit later, Delilah. What a name, Delilah. Delilah comes walking his way, batting those eyebrows, uh, tempting him, and, and he says to his dad, I want her, and next thing you know, he's marrying this uh, Delilah girl, and, 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 and his downfall ended up being Delilah. They came to her and threatened her, and the next thing you knew, Delilah was cutting off his hair, which was his strength, and then he was, had his eyeballs plucked out, and he is turned into a sideshow for the Philistines. Well, Samson did grow his hair back, called out to the Lord one last time, and killed more Philistines in his death than he did in all of his all of his life. But nonetheless, what could have Samson been had the playbook of the lust of the flesh not played out the way it did? How about King David? 
King David knows a whole lot of good that we have said and we will say about King David moving forward. A great man of God, a man after God's own heart. But what was Satan's playbook on King David? Well, as Satan uh, uh, began to wear down David through the years of his life, David got to a place where he became very settled as the king. And he, uh, instead of going out to battle, he went out on his rooftop. Instead of going out and leading the charge against the enemy, he decided to relax and settle. What's the, what's the old adage? Uh, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And there Satan on his rooftop looks over and sees Bathsheba bathing and calls for her and does things that are uh, sinful in the sight of God that are adulterous and then ends up turning around and killing Killing Bathsheba's husband Uriah because he's not able to cover up. And so what was the playbook on David? And from Satan's standpoint, it was the lust of the flesh. It was the lust of the flesh. What else was in that playbook? Well, it was the pride of life. You remember how God had told David, don't number the people? Now, why would God not want David to take a census? Because he knew David would be lifted up in pride. Look at this kingdom that... Look at this kingdom that I have built. Boy, I have become somebody. Who was his general that said, was it, was it Joab or Abner? It was Abner, right? Joab. It was Joab. Joab, thank you. Uh, I got my uh, Bible trivia guy over here. Joab. Uh, uh, Joab was uh, right there to say, David, Joab wasn't exactly the best of characters. And Joab said to David, he said, it's probably not the best idea you number those people. He said, go do it anyway. Go do it anyway. Why? The pride of life. The pride of life. How about King Solomon? David's son. Boy, he, he gave in to everything. Lust of the flesh. He married so many women. He married a thousand different gals. That's a lot of pantyhose hanging over the, the, the shower curtain. Amen? Lust of the flesh. He, he, he gave in and married all these, all these women. Lust of the eyes. Ecclesiastes tells us he bought every possession his money could afford and, and he could afford it all. Uh, pride of life. He flaunted his wealth. He flaunted his possessions. He, he held the, ta- the titles and the status. What is it for you, Christian? What is it for you? Where is it that you struggle? Where is it that Satan's coming along and tempting you? Number one, we've looked at the tempter. Number two, the temptation. Number three, notice the tempted. The tempted. We're not getting real deep here tonight, but I hope that the message tonight will help maybe rattle some things loose in your heart so that you can have a game plan to defeat Satan. Letter A, notice our options. Our options. Oh boy, this is critical. You come into that moment of temptation. Some of you here tonight, it might be fits of anger. You get angry and you raise your voice and you shout and you yell and you'll just let everybody have it. Others of you here tonight, it might be uh, some sort of lust of the flesh in that it's a, a, a drug addiction or it's uh, uh, some sort of, uh, of sensuality uh, that has slipped into your life and has a stranglehold on you. It's that matador vine that's climbed way up and you're trying to figure out how to get it cut off. And every time that temptation comes along, you fail. I'm just going to tell you tonight, there have been times in my life where I have failed and 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 failed. And I have fallen on my knees in prayer and I've said to God, I am so sick of failing. 
I am so tired of losing. There have even been times where I've wanted to throw in the towel and say, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. One of those times where I was thrown in the towel, God, God looked at me, not directly, but in my spirit. And He said to me, Aha, you got it. You can't do it. You can't do it. But I can do it through you. I can do it through you. I don't have these on the screen, but I did jot these down here as far as our options go. Or maybe they are on the screen. We can call. We can call. Who can we call on? This verse right here was one of those aha moments for me as I studied this uh, many years ago. Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 2. If you've never seen this before, trust me, you're going to want to open uh, over to Hebrews chapter 2 and see this with me. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. The Bible says there, For in that he himself hath, hath suffered being tempted, speaking of Jesus, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now that word succor is not a word we use in our modern English vernacular, but can I tell you that word succor is key. Oh, it is so important. If you're taking notes, write this down. The word succor means to run to the aid of. It means to assist. Boy, I get excited about this one. It means to fortify. To fortify. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the verse again. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to run to the aid of. He is able to assist. He is able to fortify them that are tempted. Fortify. You get in that moment of temptation and the temptation is heavy and Satan's dangling that carrot out in front of you and saying, come on, you know, you want it. Oh, it's going to feel so good. Oh, just go ahead and do it. And you cry out to the Lord and you say, Lord, I, I, I can't say no to the temptation. Will you help me? And Hebrews chapter 2 explains that Jesus Christ comes running right alongside to fortify you. He comes running right alongside of you to assist you. He comes running right there to say, I can help you defeat this temptation. But you've got to call out to the Lord. But then there's that other option. We can collapse. We can collapse. This is something we're all familiar with, isn't it? This is something we're all very familiar with. Satan masks himself as our friend. And he dangles that temptation in front of us. Sir, if you'll just blow your lid, then your family will finally start behaving the way they're supposed to. Just let them have it! It doesn't work, does it? But it feels good in the moment. There's that carrot being dangled right down in front of you. If you'll just go hang out with that crowd of teenagers, and and you'll just go along with their jokes... You'll just go along with the disrespect. Oh, then they'll accept you. And you want to be accepted. Don't you? Don't you want everyone around you to accept you? But then you're left to feel guilty afterwards because you did it. You gave in. Oh, I've got to have that cigarette. I've got to have that drink. I've got to have that puff. I've got to have that fill in the blank. We collapse. Here comes Satan. Trot along, Satan or one of his minions. What's he doing? 
He's whispering in our ear a temptation. He's dangling that carrot out in front. He's dangling that instantaneous gratification in front. And after we give in, we are left to feel conviction of the Holy Spirit and a realization that we let down our Savior that died on the cross for us to save us from that wretched lifestyle. What are your options? You can collapse or you can stop and call out to God in prayer. And He will come running right alongside of you to aid and assist. Let her be, notice, our obstacles. Our obstacles. Will you go over with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And I have written down here in my notes, expected obstacles. There are areas where we know Satan's going to tempt us in or, or we're going to be tempted in because he has been tempting us there for years. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are also, uh, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. And if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to do it. The sin which doth so easily beset us. Beset us. What does that word beset mean? It means to easily ensnarl or to easily entrap. Easily ensnarl, easily entrap. The truth is that the set of temptations that Miss Jamie over here faces is probably different than the set of temptations I face. The set of temptations that ensnarl and entrap her, the set of temptations that uh, ensnarl and entrap Brother Mark are different than the ones that ensnarl or entrap me. They're the ones that uh, seem to, to, to surround me and say, uh, where well, I just can't really seem to beat it and I lose over and over and over again. We come to church and we put on our shirts and ties, guys. We, ladies, you put on your pretty dresses and uh, you, you get your, your your things together and you get yourself all put together and you walk into church and you, again you give your best foot forward and 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 we can begin to lead people along to believe that we've really got it all together. But can we just be honest tonight? Everybody here has a set of temptations they fa- they face. Everybody here tonight has a set, set of temptations that if you're not careful, you'll give into regularly. Paul uses the analogy of running a race here in Hebrews 12. He says, let us lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily be set. As Romans 14, 13 says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. A stumbling block. And in the sense of running a race, what is a stumbling block? Well, those are those hurdles. It's hard enough to run a hundred yard dash. What's less than we jumping over stuff in the process? A couple of years ago, I was working as an assistant pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Temple. And uh, one of my duties there was to be the fundraiser for the school. We had a Christian school, and so I did all these elaborate fundraisers to help uh, to keep the school afloat. One of them we did was a jogathon, and um, uh, we borrowed a track from the local community college. And Angel and I went early to make sure everything was all set up, and and so I'm walking around, and there are all these uh, hurdles on the track. And so I'm taking the time to move them out of the way so that the kids can get there and run around the track. And um, I got down to the very end, and there was one hurdle left. You know where I'm going with this? One hurdle left. Angela's in the van. I think it was misting outside. She's sitting in the van, the church van there that we were using. And I went back to my days of my youth. I'm still pretty young, but... I'm not as young as I used to be, and I thought I could still jump over that. No problem. And so I backed up, 
It's just me and her there. I got to run and start. And I jumped as high as I could and my feet caught the top of that hurdle. Wham! I wiped out. I wiped out. Some of you now have lost all respect for your pastor. That was a stumbling block for me. For others, it wouldn't have been. For me, it was a stumbling block. You know, Satan is constantly attempting to throw hurdles onto your path. Stumbling blocks onto your path. New temptations onto your path. Christian, you've got to learn to anticipate it and expect it and ask God to help you through it. The second type of obstacle that the Christian faces are unexpected. Unexpected obstacles. What does Paul tell the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9.27? He says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What was Paul saying there? He was saying, there are things that right now aren't tempting me. They can come out of nowhere and they can just wham! They can smack me and they can knock me down. And the next thing I know, I'm totally disqualified in the ministry of serving the Lord because I gave in to some sin. Stuart Anderson in preaching on temptation reminds us that Bobby Leach, the Englishman, startled the world by going over Niagara Falls in a barrel without suffering serious harm. Some years later, he was walking down the street. He slipped on an orange pill and was taken to the hospital with a badly fractured leg. Dr. Anderson adds, Some great temptations which roar around us like Niagara may leave us unharmed, but a little insignificant incident may cause our downfall simply because we are not looking for it. We're not looking for it. Christian, you've got to wake up every morning and you've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You get up the next morning and you mortify the deeds of the flesh. You get up the next morning and you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Why? Because you're walking along and some temptation that you would have never expected to sink you can all of a sudden sink you. And let her see, notice our outcome. Our outcome. When we give in to temptation, we are left to wonder what would have been if we had just been able to stay away. You ever think in these terms as far as the Old Testament goes? I haven't really mentioned it tonight, but what about King Saul? We know the temptation he gave in to. Lust of the flesh, right? He was stubborn. It had to be his way. God sent Samuel to Saul and said, because you have performed this sacrifice... The kingdom is going to be rent from you. Do you know that the whole rest of the Bible would have been written very differently if Saul would have just not given in to temptation? Do you know that we probably wouldn't even know David's name? Jonathan would have been king. And Jonathan would have made a great king. A great king. How about King David? Saul stumbles and messes up, trips over the hurdle. Here comes King David. Boy, what if David had never fooled around with Bathsheba? Oh man, oh, well, the heart, the hurt that ensued from there. Uh, Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar, and, and then Absalom uh, uh, seeks vengeance over Tamar and kills Amnon, and then Absalom leads a revolt, and, and what happens is that Absalom ends up getting killed with his hair being caught up in a tree. Boy, the whole landscape of who would have been the next king, it probably would not have been Solomon. It probably would not have been Solomon. In fact, Solomon was birthed through Bathsheba. Had David uh, 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 behaved himself properly, he would have never had a child with Bathsheba. We're left to wonder what could have been 
if these men would have not given in to temptation. But then there's the other side of the court, the, the other side of the coin. On the positive end, we're left to wonder what would have happened if some of the others had given in to temptation. What about Joseph and Potiphar's wife? Potiphar catches Joseph in the house, says, kiss me. Tries to make an advance on him. Joseph gets out of there. What if Joseph had not done that? That famine that came, oh my, Joseph wouldn't have been there to save them from that. God maybe would have used someone else, but it wouldn't have been Joseph. The whole landscape of the last 17 chapters of Genesis would have been different. How about the Hebrew boys and Nebuchadnezzar? Hebrew boys, there they are. They won't bow. Everyone else bows. What if they had bowed? What if they had given in? What about Daniel and King Darius when the decree was written, don't bow down to any god but King Darius or suffer the lion's den. And Daniel did not bow. He did not give in to temptation. Our outcome. By the way, Joseph and the Hebrew boys and Daniel sure did enjoy a much better quality of life than King David and King Saul and Samson, and they're giving in to sin. We see, number one, the tempter. Number two, the temptation. Number three, the tempted. Number four, and lastly, notice our testimony. Our testimony. All the sermon points here to this point right here. And back to the title of our sermon. Do we all know the 23rd Psalm? How many of you here think you've got it memorized, or most of it memorized? Verse 3 says this, it says, He restoreth my soul, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now let's stop and think about this for a minute. Why does God lead us in paths of righteousness? For our name's sake? No, for His name's sake. He leads us in the paths of righteousness or He leads us away from temptation because His reputation is on the line. You and I, Christian, are the ones that represent the Messiah. The ones that represent the Christ. We are the Bible that most of the world reads. James chapter 1 and verse 12. Go back to there. This is where we started this evening. Speaking of our testimony. The Bible says there, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. My friends, sometimes our temptations are public, but usually they're private. Usually they're private. Satan knows if he can get you to misbehave in private, then eventually he'll sink you in public. What happens when we spend a lifetime saying no to temptation? What happens when we spend a lifetime saying no to the world around us? What happens is that the world will eventually respect you. I'll take it a step further. They'll be in awe of you. They're going to want what you have. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they, the world, may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I'll finish the sermon this, this evening with a story. Right out of Bible college, Angela and I got married in the uh, church where I had um, uh, gotten, uh, we got married in the church where I had graduated high school from. And uh, my father was the Christian school administrator. He hired me there to uh, teach school. And so I taught in that school for two years. I got to say that I was really excited about that job. Um, uh, right out of Bible college, 
excited about being in the ministry, wanting to make a difference and an impact in the lives of those students that looked at me. Boy, when I first got there, I was the the cool new teacher on campus. I was the athletic director. I was coaching soccer. I was coaching varsity basketball. Every all the kids uh, uh, liked me. They liked to come around and talk to me in between classes, and and I was uh, I was really enjoying my uh, my role and my duty there at the school. The second year was much more trying than the first year. I remember that uh, I was so enthusiastic about my my new position and being full-time in the ministry after having dreamt of it since I was a young man, that I got the names of my students and I began to pray over them at nighttime. I'd get down on my knees and I'd ask God to help them through various situations. Some of the students would come to me for counsel and I was trying to give them biblical sound counsel from the Word of God and trying to help them through some situations they were going through at home. And I spent hours and hours and hours and hours praying for these students and these kids. My second year teaching there, I had a very trying class. It was the seventh grade math class. This class um, made it their goal by the second semester to push my buttons and to get me worked up. I spent a lot of time asking God to help the students in this particular class. I spent time with them one-on-one trying to encourage them. Remember, toward the end of the year... I was not having the best of days. These students were acting worse than they usually did. Right in the middle of class, I lost my temper. I blew up all over them. I shouted them all down. I gave them the what for. Now, i got to tell you, at the time, it felt good. It felt good. I gave in to temptation. Can I tell you, as a result of that, I lost my influence in the lives of those students. I had spent hours praying for them. Hours and hours and hours pleading with the throne of heaven on their behalf. And while the earnest of my prayer was not in waste, my influence over their lives was now gone because of the way I had behaved. What I had spent hours and weeks and months and two years building was washed away, was washed away in one temptation and giving in to that temptation. My friend, today I'm here to tell you this. Temptation can sink you and sink you hard. You cannot let the matador of temptation, the matador plan of temptation, wrap its tinsels around your life and sink you. You have a world around you that's looking at you. And when they see you last the long haul for the good of the gospel, it lifts up your Savior because it's only through Him that you can do this. And it allows you to proclaim Him to a world that isn't even trying to say no to sin. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this evening.